Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. It's great to have you in the house today, worshiping. Isn't it so fun getting to be a part of baby dedications? It is awesome. Isn't it so fun worshiping in a full room with loud voices just calling on the Lord? My favorite moments, I mean, the band sounds fantastic, but I love it when the band is quieter and the voices just roar. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with me? It's the greatest thing. Before I get into the message, I want to pray for a few pressing needs. Uh, Jim Ayers is a friend of the church. He's a, a longtime friend of our pastor, Emeritus, and we just got word yesterday that he is uh, kind of suddenly on an urgent waiting list for a kidney transplant. His name is Jim Ayers. He was a significant part of the story at Graceland and, and the land that we have for future uh, development. Uh, he's also the founder and president of uh, First Bank here in the area. Pamela Legner, is, did you make it, Pamela? Are you in the room? They didn't make it. Okay. She, they were going to try to make it. She fell and broke her leg this week and went immediately to the emergency room and is doing okay, but is struggling. Of course, a lot of you know Don Forbes, who's still recovering from hip surgery. And I know there's a lot of needs. We have a pastoral care leader named Rob Rates. He's out of town today. Um, but any prayer requests, come to me if you'd like that contact. We're going to put it in uh, one of our upcoming emails as well. But we believe that things change when we pray. We actually believe that, that God answers prayer. So could you join me? Lord, we pray for these specific needs. Uh, we pray for Jim Ayers right now, a dear friend of the church. And as a church family, even though a lot here don't know him personally, we pray for healing in his body, and we pray for provision for a kidney transplant as quickly as possible in Jesus' name. We pray for Pamela and Victor Legner, and Pamela specifically as she recovers from this broken leg, probably watching online right now, we pray that you, you would give them your peace and the grace and very, very quick healing and full restoration in her leg in Jesus' name. And Don Forbes, who's also watching online from home, be with him. God, we pray for just speedy recovery in that hip. I know he weeps every week just to be back with the church family. And I pray that he'll know right now that we love him and we're with him and we're surrounding him in prayer. And all the other needs that are represented in this room, God, uh, we lay them at the feet of Jesus and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're approaching the Easter season, as you know, and with each year, I find myself getting more and more passionate about Easter and everything around Easter because it brings hope in the midst of despair. And I feel like the longer you live, the more you see the despair that people face in life. And the resurrected Christ brings hope in the midst of despair. We're actually seeing that in Ukraine right now. I encourage you to continue to pray for those in Ukraine and the surrounding area. But I just heard a report at a Gideon meeting I was at with uh, Jim Bozeman, one of our board members this week. And they have a lot of contacts on the ground there. And they said that among the Christians and the new Christians and the church in Ukraine, they're clinging and seeing the reality of Psalm 3121. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city under siege. And they're clinging to the hope that God, in the midst of this despair, will be faithful, and he is faithful, to show them the wonders of his love, even in this moment. And let's also not forget that we have people here in our area that are in despair. And there are probably here people here in this room that are in places of despair. We may not see it on Sunday mornings, but it's like when your pillow hits the head at night, or when you wake up, uh, when your head hits the pillow at night. I'm glad I caught that. 
the baby dedications got me crazy. I, mean, I think Linnea should speak. She was ready. Sometimes you wake up at 3 a.m., the reality of what's in your heart comes out, and we can be living in all kinds of challenges, but there is hope for you because of the resurrected Christ. Not just for you, there's hope for your loved ones because of the resurrected Christ. There's hope for your neighbors, your coworkers because of the resurrected Christ. And we just want to communicate well leading up to this season and let you know about a few things uh, so that you can be aware of it. Palm Sunday starts Passion Week and really kicks off the Easter season. Uh, it is, uh, I can't remember the date, oh, the 10th of April. And we're, it's also going to be Vision Sunday for uh, Graceland Espanol for us. Myself and uh, Pastor Oscar Brajas, part of our team, are going to co-teach that Sunday. We're going to have uh, Nick Gonzalez, Jackie Velasquez here with us leading worship, who are part of our church family here, are often gone because they're uh, doing other things on the road and such. Um, but it's going to be a wonderful kickoff to that Passion Week. And then on Good Friday, the Hulays are going to do a live online reflection about Good Friday at 7 p.m., on Facebook Live, and then on Holy Saturday, Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, um, Oscar Barajas is going to do a live online reflection at 2 p.m., and then Easter Sunday is going to be a big celebration. Um, we're really going to need you uh, to help us by parking far and sitting close. It's language we've been using. We have to maintain room in our parking lot, so I, I park my Honda Pilot, and there's a number of cars that park behind me out on the driveway just on the grass. And it's easy to get up and down. You can park all the way down the driveway if anyone is able and willing, not just for Easter, but especially for this second service. We need as many people as possible to park far. We have seen people show up at second service to a full parking lot and just drive away. And that's something that is tragic to me and to our team here that we never want to happen. And it's bad hospitality. So we have space where you can park if you're willing and then sit close. And what that means is if someone walked in this room right now, they would think the room was completely packed because the back feels completely packed, but there's actually some room up here. So for those who are able and willing, no pressure. We're not going to judge you back dwellers. We love you. We love the back dwellers just as much as everybody else. <laughs> don't, don't everybody turn around and look to see. <laughs> totally messing with you. But if you're able and willing and it doesn't make you terribly uncomfortable, start getting in the habit of sitting closer. You can even sit all the way up in the very front row because it helps us show good hospitality. Uh, to people that need to hear the message of Jesus. First service will do the same, especially on Easter Sunday. And we're going to start a series, two-week-long series on Easter Sunday called The Life You've Longed For. And it's going to be The Life You've Longed For Through the Power of the Resurrection. I can't wait to teach it. Part two will be the following week, and it'll also be Baptism Sunday. So we've got sign-ups already. We do them right there. We're praying that people that are putting their faith in Jesus or are, have a renewed faith in Jesus and have never been baptized, let us know if you'd like to get baptized. We're very excited about what God will do. I want to honor my parents who are in town. They're right there. Can you wave at everyone, mom and dad? Because my mom and dad are a little higher so they can see you. Charles and Don Kohler, love them so much. Um, everything I ever preach or have talked about comes from them. Uh, they, they, I should give them a portion of my paycheck uh, for the rest of my life in all seriousness. Um, when my three-year-old son found out Mimi and Papa were coming into town, uh, he said, oh, now I can be happy. I was like, what? <laughs> now you can be happy? I thought you were happy, son. He found out about a week before they got here that they were coming, and once he realized that he had to wait a week, he immediately got sad again. And he's a happy kid. Don't worry. Don't worry about him. But he, he lost the joy about Mimi and Papa coming. And I noticed in my son what we all experience in our human nature, and that is that sometimes our happiness or our sense of well-being is based on us getting what we want when we want it. Anybody? 
It's the, time, the timing factor of life. We, we often struggle with timing in our lives. We get frustrated with waiting when we want to have something quicker. Usually we want things quicker than they come, just as a general rule. It can go the other way, though, too. Sometimes we, we wait too long because we're afraid or we're anxious and we, we're afraid to step out in faith. I remember meeting with a friend years ago during a critical transitional season in my family's life, and I just wasn't sure about the timing. It was something that we sensed God's leading on, but I was just struggling with. And I used a word with him that was just true. I was feeling it in my heart. I said, I feel terror every night when I think about this. And he pushed, on, pushed back on me and said, terror? Why do you feel terror? And as I reflect back on it, it's because sometimes timing issues in our life can be so scary and heavy, depending on how we hold it, that they cause us to be terrified of the future or that we're going to make the wrong decision. Anybody ever been there? When we're not there, sometimes we don't remember it. But that is a reality that we often face. And today's text is out of John 7. It speaks directly into the issue of timing in our lives through Jesus and the example that he sets for us. We're in this series. It's called Believe. It's a study through the entire gospel of John. And there's two kind of themes I've been sharing. In a world full of cynicism and death, you can be filled with belief in life through Jesus. And for today, I'm adding some different language. In a world full of exhaustion and anxiety, you can be filled with rest and peace through Jesus. And the title today is Trusting God's Timing. The context for John 7, verses 1 through 9, is that Jesus had fed the 5,000. Then he and his disciples crossed uh, the lake, and that's when Jesus walked on the water. Peter ran out after, you know, on the water uh, and had an amazing experience with the Lord. That part's not recorded in John, but it was the same story. They got to Capernaum, and all the crowd then eventually found Jesus and the disciples again. Jesus had some hard teaching for them. We looked at it in John 6. He was talking about communion and, and how salvation comes. You can listen last week if you want to hear it. But it was such a hard teaching that it said many of the disciples left Jesus at that time. But his 12 stayed with him and said, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? And that's when we pick up in John 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. And after this, he had said this. And after he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. It's fascinating to note that chapter seven of the Gospel of John begins the last six months of Jesus' public ministry, leading with his death, ending with his death and resurrection. So there's a lot there between chapter seven and all the way towards the end of insights that we get in this gospel that we don't see in a lot of the other gospels. So I'm excited to dive in, into that in the coming months. So you see that he was around Galilee and he did not want to go to Judea because he found out they were looking for a way to kill him in Judea. So first of all, we see that things have escalated quickly in the life of Jesus. It goes from everyone asking who is he and feeling kind of threatened to now all of a sudden they're wanting to actually kill this man, not just silence him. 
We take that for granted sometimes because we know the whole story. It ends in death and resurrection for Jesus, but they didn't know that. This is just life panning out, and so this is a very tense situation. But by all accounts, it wasn't that Jesus was afraid that stopped him from going to Judea. It was that he understood it was not the right time yet. He had this sense, though he didn't know every detail, of the Father's timing for what needed to happen. So it wasn't time for him to be killed yet. And we're going to look at that in the coming verses. In verse 2, it says that the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. And just a quick word about that because it's so helpful with the context. It's also known as the Feast of Booths. And it was all about every year taking eight full days to remember how for 40 years in the history of the people of Israel, God provided for them supernaturally as they wandered in the wilderness. We see it throughout the scripture, some miracles that God did. It says their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years. Miracle. I treat clothes like that. I wear clothes that I've had for 20 years. Anybody else with me? They all come back in style. It was a miracle. 40 years. It said manna from the sky is how they ate. Water came out of rocks. And so it is clear that God wants the people of Israel to remember that he took care of them. And so he says, I want you to celebrate for eight days every year this particular feast just to remember that time. And I wonder in point number one, how would you be living now if you really invested time to remember the faithfulness of God then? And I'm talking about your life. My parents and I were talking last night, and I had never heard them share this, but I remember when they took this trip. It was an anniversary, and they were gifted a trip to Hawaii. And they went on this wonderful trip. It was probably 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago. And I'd never heard this, but at the very end of their trip, on the last day, uh, they found out that the whole time they were there, they could have been flying to all these other little islands around Hawaii for very cheap. They had thought wrongly that it was going to be very expensive, and so they stayed on just the main island the whole time. So it was kind of a negative impression they got on that last day. And interestingly, that was the story they told people the most. Yeah, the Hawaii trip was great, but on the last day, can you believe it? We found out. We could have been going to all these islands the whole time. And they kept on repeating that story. It was great, but on the last day, we found out we could have been going to all these islands the rest of the time. And they kind of, I hope you guys don't mind me saying this, but... They said to me last night, yeah, it was really interesting. Because we kept telling that part of the trip, we kind of got it down in our subconscious that it wasn't a great trip. And it wasn't until just recently at some kind of conversation that they had where they were remembering the trip in Hawaii and how wonderful it was and how much fun it was and all the special things they got to do, even though they were just on the main island and the fact that it, it was gifted to them. And I mean, they were just like, wow, this was an incredible trip but they had framed it with that one negative aspect of the trip, and that became the story. Why? Because it's what they repeated. It's kind of like choosing, and I don't mean to throw you guys under the bus. They weren't doing it on purpose, but it's kind of like choosing to celebrate annually the negative part of the story rather than the really good part of the story. And God knows that we have that human nature in us, which is why he commands us to remember. And I wrote this down in the middle of the night last night, mom and dad, after thinking about your story. The story I repeat will be the story I believe. And that alone can change our lives. You need to repeat to yourself 
the truth of God in your life. And it starts with the fact that you were created. He made you in his image, divine image, good of worth, of value, beloved son, beloved daughter. And even in your sin and brokenness and guilt and shame, just like in mine, he then loves you so much that he makes a way for your salvation. He creates a path for you to freely come and receive the gift of full salvation. Then he says, I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the grace you need, the peace you need. I'm going to give you this life. He says all this of you, yet we somehow don't tell ourselves that story, so we think negatively about ourselves. We think God's not with us. We think he hasn't shown himself faithful. So there's something about changing the story. And I want to encourage you, number two, develop your own feast of remembering. You don't have to call it the Feast of Booths. You could. You could actually, actually follow that Jewish calendar. I know Messianic Christians, people that follow that, that choose to remember those times. We don't do it much in evangelicalism, and we probably miss some of the richness of those God-ordained feasts. But what we can do is we can also develop our own habits of remembering. How many of you are like me, and you live off of reminders on your phone? I mean, it, anything important comes across my desk or a text message or a phone call. If it's something that I need to remember later in the week or next month, first thing I do is I write it down. And if it's for the next day, I set an alarm. I live by alarms and reminders. You know why? Because I value following through with what I'm supposed to do. And I know it won't work unless I set a reminder. How much more true is it if I value the truth of God in my life, if I value the story of God in my life, I should automate that into my life. I should build rhythms that force me back to the truth. And I just encourage you to think about how you can do that in your own life. One thing my wife and I do is when we're out to dinner, uh, when we do it with our kids too, but especially when we don't have our kids, and as they get older, we'll do it more and more with them. But we, we just take some time every time we're out for a special occasion or a date or anything to just remember some of the incredible stuff God has done, and we just make it a habit. Sometimes it's just when he, how he brought us together. That's a huge deal for us. And we're reminded 15 years later, oh my goodness, you remember when God like, crossed our paths and our hearts caught on fire for each other and he connected our hearts with vision and, and he allowed us to be married and our lives came together and now we've got all these kids and we've got a lot. Man, do you remember that? And it reorients you about God's story over your life. You know why that's important? Because marriage is hard. And you can start thinking all kinds of other things about your spouse. Anybody? You can start thinking negative things about your spouse. And you have to remind yourself, oh, I love that person. I remember when I would weep with gratitude when I first met them. And we should reclaim that 15 years later or 30 years later or 60 years later. Anybody with me? It's like real talk in church. You, don't always, you always love your spouse. You don't always like them. My 12-year-old daughter is sitting right here. <laughs> She's like, all right, Dad, move along. <laughs> Verse 2. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. Now, you need to know his brothers do not believe in him. So they're saying this almost like mockery, almost accusatory. They're, they're questioning even his motives. Look what they say. Jesus, leave this place. Go to Judea. Everyone's going to be there. It's the feast so that your disciples there may see what you're doing. And then they really attack his motives. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Can't you just hear the jealousy in that a little bit? Jesus, you wanna be a big shot? You wanna have all these crowds come? You wanna do these miracles? 
Go be with the people. Your strategy is, is garbage. He says, since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world, Jesus. And then it shows us, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They were saying these things not to actually help him, but out of a place of unbelief. When we're in a posture of unbelief towards the things of God, we know everything God should do to fix the world, don't we? We know why what he's doing isn't working. We know we have way better ideas than God when we're in that posture of unbelief. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. That's what his brothers were doing. And Jesus has this beautiful response in a tense moment with his brothers. My time is not yet here. He says, for you, any time will do. But my time is not yet here. And it's just clear in scripture that as believers, we live according to God's timeline, not ours, not the world's. There are things that could seem like strategic advances, like this moment, of course, go to the festival. But Jesus does not take that strategic advance because he understands it's not my time. Part of being a believer is trusting the timing of the Lord. And I wanna ask you, number three, are you trusting God's timing for your life or trying to force your own? In Joshua 5, we see a story where the people of Israel are at war and God shows up powerfully, does some miracles, and it says the hearts of the enemy were melted with fear. So any commander in that moment would say, now's the time to advance. The hearts of the enemy are melted with fear. But right at that moment, God shows up and tells the people of Israel, it is not time to advance, it's time to circumcise the army. Get the knives out, set a date, Circumcision party. He doesn't call it that. You have to understand the circumcision in the old covenant was a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. So what it essentially is saying is, hey guys, before you advance, even though it seems like a strategic moment and everything would say move forward, God tells them, I wanna deal with some heart issues in you before you take another step. And there are all kinds of times like that in our own lives where we just think, this is the moment, God. Everything is right. If I don't go now, I'm never gonna go. And God might just be like, stop. I wanna work on your heart. I wanna bring circumcision to your heart. It's metaphorical. I wanna teach you some things that are actually gonna set you up for what's next so it'll even last. I wanna teach you some things that are gonna protect you from something you think is supposed to be for you. We have to learn if we're really gonna follow Jesus, what we talk about all the time, we have to trust his timing and not force our own. I had a friend recently who had, he's a pastor of a church and there's a flagship church in the Assemblies of God, which is the group I'm ordained with in Fort Myers. I think it's called Fort Myers First Assembly, Dan Betzer. Anybody know the church I'm talking about? No, okay. Um, see, no one cares about, yeah. In the Assemblies of God, it's a whole big thing, and no one's ever even heard of it. Um, it's this amazing church, and they've had a pastor there for year, decades and decades and decades, and he's a famous pastor. And they've tried transitions, and it hasn't worked out, and they tapped one of my friends on the shoulder, and he ended up being the final candidate, and they said, we believe it's you. We're going to bring you this Sunday. Our elders have voted you in. Done deal. And he's already pastoring uh, a flourishing church in another state, uh, but this would have been, by any, like, like, metrics standards, a major advancement. You know, the kind of thing that doesn't come to most people ever, 
and certainly doesn't come more than once in your life. And he thought it was the Lord leading him for a while until the very last moment as he sought counsel and as he trusted wise uh, people in his life that speak into his life. He just couldn't land on total peace about it. And so at the very last second, he said no. And he really wrestled with that. But it was as soon as he said no, he was flooded with the peace of God. And just, you know, like the warmth of God's presence. And it was a sense of accepting God's timing. It was not the moment for him to step into that assignment. And it may never be in this case, but I, as Christians, we sometimes develop so much vision and have so many plans and goals for our lives that we forget that as believers, our lives are meant to be entirely about his will, his way, his timing. And we have to stay in that posture. But the more our lives build up around us, it's a little harder to remain in that posture, isn't it? There's more to lose. There's more at stake. James 4.13 says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. We had a gentleman who came to faith at our church in Los Angeles years ago named Kuros. He was from Iran. My parents would remember Kuros. Nobody might remember Kuros. And he developed this habit of just always saying to the degree of, I don't know if you're watching this, Kuros, but I love you, but to the degree of almost it was annoying, right? <laughs> Anytime he would say anything, he would say, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. And he does it so much that you're either going to choose to be annoyed by it or let it always remind you, oh, he's actually right. We walk around so confident and assume tomorrow is going to be what it's going to be. We assume a year from now is going to be what it's going to be. But in reality, we have no idea what's coming around the corner. Scripture is clear. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. He sees the beginning from the end. He's outside of time. If we're not able to just trust him with today and trust him from, with a surrendered heart for tomorrow, we're fooling ourselves. We're walking around like we have control. I love this quote from Greg Laurie, number four. God's plans for you are better than any plans you have for yourself. So don't be afraid of God's will, even if it's different from yours. And you could easily say, don't be afraid of God's timing, even if it's different from yours. Bill Johnson said it this way, if you knew who God made you to be, you'd never want to be anyone else. And I edited it for number five in your notes. If you knew the wisdom of God's timing in your life, you wouldn't want any other timing. How many of you can look back at seasons of your life where you were frustrated about timing, but now in hindsight see, oh my goodness, that was God's wisdom. Oh my goodness, look how he protected me. Look how he actually used that to set up what was next. Look how, look what he did. I had a, I had a, a, a young woman that there was a very short season right before I met my wife that I tried to almost force myself into thinking, I think she might be the one. I think she might be the one. I remember even talking to my dad about it once. She was going to New York to do Broadway. So I was thinking, yes, she'll do Broadway. I'll plant a church. We'll do the love. I can see it. I can see it. Dad, can you see it? I don't know if you remember this conversation. And he's, I was a, a grown-up. I was a young man. I was probably 
20 or 21, and, uh, and my dad never tells me what to do about anything, uh, unless it's just very clear morally, but he couldn't hide his face, that he was just kind of thinking, I'm not sure, Nathan. <laughs> you know those moments when you're just trying to force something because you want it? Right, and it wasn't even that I wanted that young woman so much, but I wanted to be married. I wanted to, I wanted to move into that chapter of life. And thankfully, by God's grace, and in the midst of my frustration, the door just totally closed. And a few months later, I met my wife, and it was day and night. I mean, it was day and night. All of a sudden, I could see everything that I needed in my wife. <laughs> All of a sudden, I could see everything that that other girl didn't have at all, you know? And, I, and I'm not, this isn't like a magic trick that once you say, yes, I trust you, God, things just start magically happening. My prayer is that in the midst of anything that is happening in our lives, any circumstance, all we can actually control is our response to it. You can say it this way. We cannot control outcomes. We can only control inputs. We can control what we do, what we put into the situation, but we have no power to control circumstances or other people or God. So I believe what God is after here is people after his heart that are filled with the fruit of the spirit that can be a a non-anxious, joyful presence in the middle of any circumstance. One of the parenting quotes that my wife and I use the most that has convicted us and helped us is, If your kids are disobeying or frustrated about something, don't make your number one goal getting them to obey. Make your number one goal you responding with the fruit of the Spirit. Isn't that powerful? We have failed at that many times, I must say, with my 12-year-old here. But that's our goal. And I think it doesn't just apply to parenting, but it applies to all of life. I think God desires for you to be so secure in him, so at rest, so at peace in who you are that even when the timeline, the timetable that you've desired is completely crushed, you can respond with, yes, Lord, I trust you. Now, it might be painful, but what we come to learn is that even when we get the timeline working out just like we want it, it doesn't quite deliver the way we hoped it would. It doesn't actually change us. It doesn't bring the kind of fulfillment we maybe hoped it would, whatever it was that that timetable meant to us. And so we can just as easily get what we wanted, and then wherever we go, we are still there, and we can end up being a person void of the fruit of the Spirit in a new circumstance, and we'll start longing for another timeline. Anybody tracking with me? And I feel like we go through this process until the Lord is just like, hey, I'm interested in doing this in you right now, right here, before anything else changes. So as the band comes up, Let's just bow our hearts in prayer. Let's close our eyes in prayer. And let's ask this question, Lord, how have you called me to embrace your timing today? What outcomes, Lord, do I need to lay at your feet? God, I confess that I cannot control others. I cannot control circumstances. I certainly can't control you. You are God, I'm not, and I can barely control myself. But the one thing you've given me to do in the midst of all of this is control my response. So Lord, help me to be a person of the spirit, a person of settled trust, 
a person who knows that your plans are better than any plans I have for myself, and a person who knows that your timing is the wisest timing. God, I confess I don't want any other timing but your timing. And then I ask for you to give me wisdom on how to live from this posture of surrender. You know, making this surrender, it doesn't mean that you stop setting goals or having vision or working hard. There's a grid that I use for myself for years, and I'm gonna close with this. Three words that I filter my life through, I filter all my emotions through, and they're just triggers for me in a good sense of truths that I need to align around. The first word is rest. Rest meaning soul rest. Like I am at peace as a son of God now. There's nothing I'm looking for outside of me to fulfill me. There's nothing I'm looking for in the future to lead me to contentment. So I can live from rest, not for rest. Are you tracking with me? And there, there are some things in the Lord, a lot of things that we try to achieve that we can only receive, that I do. Like we can never achieve our belovedness in God. We can never achieve perfect contentment. We can only receive it. So that's the piece of rest. So I preach to myself, rest, Nathan. Embrace the timing of God. Don't force timing. Don't exhaust yourself. Just be at peace. Once I have rest there, I remind myself of the second word, which is boldness. This is what I wanted to clarify. Because once I'm at rest, once that is in my heart, I, God calls me and us to use our gifts with boldness have vision for me, lead with boldness, serve, dream with boldness, use your gifts, press on, stir up the gifts within you, but you have to be at rest first or else you'll try to use those gifts to determine who you are. Tracking with me? So rest is the identity piece, then you can live with boldness as under the Lord. And then my third word is fun, just because I know my tendency to blow through life and miss it. And I don't wanna miss this stage of life with my precious 12-year-old and my nine-year-old, my six-year-old, my three-year-old. I don't wanna miss the beauty of this season of our church just because I'm dreaming about five years from now. Are you tracking with me? So rest, boldness, and fun. So as you surrender timing, I just wanted to clarify, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean you don't have vision. It doesn't mean you don't use your gifts. But I find in our American culture, because the culture in the West celebrates and rewards drivenness and overwork, I find that a lot of Americans need to preach that rest to ourselves more than the others. Be at peace. Nothing to prove, no one to impress. Everything you need right here, right now, beloved of God. So if that's you and you're with me, let's just, we'll, we'll raise our hands up to the Lord. If you're saying, I wanna embrace your timeline, God. I don't wanna force mine. If you're saying, I wanna be a follower of Jesus for the first time, you might be in that place. I wanna know you, God. I need forgiveness for where I've fallen short. Thank you for what you've done for me, Lord. I commit my life to you. Maybe you just need to repent and say, God, I've, I've lived for years just trying to force my timing and I wanna live surrendered. I wanna float down the river of God. I wanna go head first into the river of God. I wanna surrender fully to your pace, to your timing, to your outcomes. I don't need to white knuckle my life anymore. So, Lord, I surrender to your timing. And, God, I pray your blessing on each person that you'll lead us in the way everlasting. Lead us in a, a counterculture, the culture of the kingdom, 
Church, let's just thank God. Let's thank him for his faithfulness in our lives. Let's thank him that we can trust him. Come on, let's clap our hands unto God before we go, church. Let's just thank him. We can trust you, Lord. We can rest our lives upon your will, your way, your timing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Love you guys very much. We're dismissed. Have a great afternoon.